Kirby, Senator Mike Lee in criminal justice reform, Judge Vance Day on political prosecutions, and country artist Rory Feet performs. That's Trey Corley in the Music City Connection. And I'm your announcer, Keith Filbrick. And now, here's Mike Huckabee! a bunch of great sports out here in the audience in ways you'll never understand. <laughs> By the way, not only welcome to our show, but would you take a look at these Christmas decorations that we've got for all of the month of December. We are so excited. A beautiful decorated theater here in Hendersonville, Tennessee, just outside of Nashville. Now, before we get started tonight, I want to ask everybody to please keep in your prayers the folks up around Anchorage, Alaska. They have been devastated this week with a very serious earthquake. And uh, we're praying that they'll be okay and things can be restored back uh, to some level of safety very soon. Well, you may know I got a brand new book out. It's called Rare, Medium, or Done Well, Making the Most of Your Life. It's not a cookbook and it's not a political book. It's an inspirational faith book, and it would work beautifully for individual study or for small groups, and even has discussion questions at the end of each short chapter. Now, it's about stopping long enough to step back and think about what's important. Not urgent, but truly important in life. You know, we are often so busy doing the immediate that we miss focusing on the ultimate. If we live solely for success in this world and fail to prepare for the life that comes after we exit, we've not lived very wisely. We need to leave a legacy, not just loot for our children and grandchildren. So what kind of legacy? Well, that's what the book outlines, a legacy of honesty, love of God, commitment to family, hard work, generosity, a sense of humor, and a positive attitude toward life. Those are among many of the attributes that will live beyond our lifetime. Now, during Thanksgiving week, I unexpectedly experienced a little slice of the legacy that I'll leave behind, and you're never going to believe where and how I experienced it. Janet and I took our three adult children and our six grandchildren to Disney World for a week. <laughs> yep. One of the busiest weeks of the year there. In fact, it was so busy that one of the days the park hit capacity and they actually stopped selling tickets. Even Mickey couldn't take any more. <laughs> and it was beyond exhausting. My Apple Watch said that I walked about eight miles a day and I stood on my feet for 12 to 13 hours a day. Now keep in mind, my six grandkids range in age from seven down to one year old. As my wife sometimes says, there is a reason God gives babies to younger women. <laughs> Frankly, I've never ridden so many roller coasters in a week in my life. I've never met so many cartoon characters or taken so many photos of princesses. And in addition to the sheer physical toll on my aging body from chasing tykes around the world's largest amusement park, I'm thinking I might have to sell a kidney just to pay for it all. But I got to tell you something, when I look at the photos that I've got from the week watching that one-year-old hug Mickey Mouse, or the unbridled joy in the face of my two granddaughters when they got to dress up like princesses and meet the characters that they've watched in the movies, or the laughter caught on video when the seven-year-old took on the five-year-old and the three-year-old in a sword fight that old spoil sport Papaw had to intervene and stop. I gotta be honest, I sit there with a silly grin on my face. I truly believe that long after I'm gone, they're gonna remember our time there together. They better. <laughs> well, I hope they can relish it half as much as, as me. And yes, maybe I could have sent one of them to college for what it cost me to have that experience. 
But to see them enjoy a week of reckless abandon to adventure, learning, and simple fun was great for them, but it was worth every penny to me. Oh, sure, I truly do hope to leave them some funds for college, but I realized that I left them and me something too valuable to put a price on. Time. Time together to love and laugh and live large with an overgrown rodent with massive ears who just turned 90 years old this year. Now, if you live a rare life, you've never really lived. A medium life? Eh, one that wasn't bad, but it just wasn't that good. But a life done well, that is a life that will keep you living beyond your lifetime. I knew it was a good book, but after realizing that I lived some of it, I decided it's a great book. And who knew that a 90-year-old mouse would drive home its message to me? Politicians from both parties have long called for prison sentencing reform. President Trump is finally trying to accomplish it through the bipartisan First Step Act. But some Republicans strongly oppose it. Here to explain is one of the bill's chief supporters, Utah Senator Mike Lee. Senator, I'm delighted to have you here. I want to talk about the First Step Act, but before we do, I want to get into something that's been very much in the news. One of your colleagues, Republican Senator Jeff Flake, has held up uh, the judicial appointments uh, that are really critical because he wants a bill that has nothing to do with judicial appointments. It has to do with protecting the special counsel. I saw you make a brilliant and very passionate plea on the constitutional basis for separation of powers, and this is why you said you could not support uh, Senator Flake's actions. Give us a brief explanation. The U.S. Department of Justice is run by the Attorney General. The Attorney General is nominated by the President and confirmed by the President uh, by the Senate, and, and he uh, serves at the pleasure of the President. All of the principal prosecutorial officials, uh, so for example, not just the uh, U.S. Attorney General, but all the U.S. attorneys in the United States go through that same process, and they serve at the pleasure of the President. This is uh, what it means to be part of the executive branch. Justice Scalia, in his classic opinion in a case called Morrison v. Olson, explained that it's unconstitutional to create a de facto fourth branch of government inside the Department of Justice, of somebody who's protected from any kind of attachment to our elected president. And Justice Scalia is right, and on that basis, the Congress declined to extend the independent counsel statute. Senator Flake's legislation would have the effect of creating a new type of independent counsel statute, a de facto fourth branch of government, unaccountable to anyone who's elected. And I think that's wrong. It is unconstitutional, and I can't support it. Well, for that, by the way, uh, Judge Napolitano, I saw him on Fox News, called you the constitutional conscience of the Senate, which was high praise, and I couldn't agree more. Uh, but, but I want to talk about sentencing reform, federal uh, guidelines for sentencing. You have worked tirelessly on this. Some people would maybe be surprised that so many Republicans, including me, uh, have been a part of this effort to bring reform to our federal sentencing guidelines. Let's first just lay out the basis. Why does this matter to America? It matters to America, Governor, because we have a federal criminal justice system that needs to be more effective and more efficient. We've got too many minimum mandatory sentencing laws that are putting people behind bars, sometimes for decades at a time, sometimes for 55 years at a time. In the case of a, a young offender named Weldon Angelos, who sold three dime bags of pot to a confidential informant over a 72-hour period, and because he had a gun on his person at the time and the way he was charged, the federal district judge had no option, no discretion, no choice but to sentence him to 55 years in prison. When we do that, what that does, it not only undermines faith in the criminal justice system as unfair, but it also uh, diverts resources away from the truly dangerous offenders and puts them toward more, uh, uh, less serious offenders like Mr. Angelos. This bill would help ameliorate the effects of these uh, hyperactive minimum mandatory sentences. And just as importantly, it would create incentives for individual prisoners to get training and treatment they need in prison to reduce their risk of recommitting offenses after they get out of prison. We're locking up uh, one out of every 33 Americans at some point in their life these days. 
that's changed from one in 77 during the Ronald Reagan era. So a lot of people are going to prison and I can't believe that everybody who's there needs hard prison versus maybe some option like community corrections. How does this bill help balance that out so we do take care of the people that are bad folks, but do it without breaking the bank? Well, first of all, it doesn't reduce any of the statutory maximums, nor does it change the federal sentencing guidelines, but it does adjust some of the mandatory minimums. And it does so in a pretty modest fashion. For example, it takes the uh, three strikes uh, conviction that could result in a mandatory life sentence and takes it down to 25 years. 25 years for most offenders is going to be a de facto life sentence anyway, at least when you talk about the age at which most offenders are likely to commit. You know, it's, it's different if you're a, a serial violent offender or something like that, but this isn't dealing with those. This gives federal judges an additional degree of discretion with regard to relatively low-level, relatively nonviolent offenders. There have been a number of states who have enacted similar reforms, and they've seen not only significant budget savings, but they've actually seen a decline in crime. Yes, that's exactly right. Uh, we've got a number of states, including some conservative states like Georgia, and Texas. What they've seen is that recidivism has gone way down. The risk of people recommitting these offenses when they have access to these kinds of rehabilitative uh, training systems, uh, these, these job training networks, what they find is that prisoners, when they are finally released, are more likely to go into a job, and when they're more likely to have a job, they're likely to be connected to their families, less likely to get back involved in crime again. You've got some uh, Republicans who are opposed to it, but uh, this has also had some support from Democrats, including some very left-of-center Democrats. Uh, not in the Senate, but Van Jones, for example, is one of the supporters of this measure. Has given the president credit for bringing it up. Is it going to pass? Or are we going to see this uh, come to fruition? It's going to pass, Governor. Uh, if it's brought to the Senate floor, this will pass with over 70 votes. I teamed up starting back in 2011 with my friend Dick Durbin. Dick Durbin and I don't see eye to eye on everything, but on this issue, well, we see that it's neither Republican nor Democratic. It's neither liberal nor conservative. This is simply an American issue and a, and a, a matter of good policy that the country needs. Well, I, I'm very hopeful that you will continue the leadership you've brought in. My thanks to Senator Mike Lee. He's going to be uh, working on this, and we're all going to be watching to see if a number of Democrats who've long mouthed support for criminal justice reform will indeed back a bill that's supported by President Trump. I hope you'll keep up with the First Step Act. You can also do that by following Senator Mike Lee on Twitter. Okay, Keith, you tell us what we have following our first act. Coming up, Judge Vance Day reveals why justice and politics cannot mix. Then Mike uncovers some truly unique stories on In Case You Missed It. And later, author and country music star Rory Feet. More Huckabee is on the way. Welcome back. Now, if you're looking for something that's really fun to do, why don't you come visit us in Nashville and see the show in person? Now, we've got Delilah, Mickey Gilly, and Shonda Pierce all coming up this month. If you'd like to join us here in our studio audience, just go to Huckabee TV. That's Huckabee.tv. Click on that big red button that says free tickets, and then we get to see you real soon. Well, my next guest is a judge who unexpectedly found himself on the wrong side of the bench. Marion County, Oregon Circuit Judge Vance Day had an unsurpassed record of helping veterans in his veterans treatment court. Then one day he was helping turn on the heat at a former Navy SEAL's home when Day's son showed the vet his unloaded pistol. Judge Day found himself suspended for three years and actually facing charges of allowing a felon access to firearms charges that he believes were retribution because he declined to perform same-sex weddings for religious reasons. But just as his trial was about to begin, it all came to a sudden end. Judge Day was with us a few months back to tell his story, and we promised that we would keep you informed as to the outcome. So here to tell us the surprise ending of his story, would you welcome back to the show Judge Vance Day. I almost feel like I need to say... When we came to our hero last time, 
<laughs> it was quite uh, a different moment because you were right in the midst of being indicted, uh, facing possible jail time. What happened was is we decided to take this matter to trial. They came to me and said, if you just accept a misdemeanor, it just plead to a misdemeanor, all go away, no punishment. And my wife and I said, absolutely not. We're not going to do that. So we took it right to trial. We, in the process of seating a jury, we brought in 400 jurors, picked 12. It was that close. It was I mean, that going close, to trial. literally. Well, yeah, yeah, it was second day of trial. Yeah. And the government's case just imploded. What happened? Well, when you bring a case that is, in my opinion, politically motivated, you have to have evidence. Yeah. But the bottom line is, is their only witness was this Navy SEAL veteran who frankly gave honorable service to our country. He's yeah. a hero. And I believe the government was manipulating and pushing him and kind of forcing him into this position. And he just decided at the last minute, I'm not playing ball. I'm not coming. Hmm. And of course, when that happens, the whole case just imploded and all the charges were dismissed within minutes. So thank you and your wife for having the courage to risk everything, because you really did yeah, to you. do that. So. In the midst of all of this, you decided not to run for re-election as a judge. So now what do you do? I have the opportunity to work with a, an executive team that in one weekend event will touch the lives of nearly five million men. Hmm. Touching the lives of men and helping them understand who they are as men, how they relate to their wives, their families, their, their communities, and their culture. And that is an opportunity which I absolutely relish. It's almost like, I mean, God may have given you the second chapter of your life that is better than being uh, a circuit judge in Oregon. So, uh, Oh, no doubt about that. How, how frightened were you in the course of this time when you were fighting with really an overwhelming, uh, just determined government to take you down? I hope this doesn't sound funny, Governor, but fear is not part of my nature. And the reason is because as a person of faith, when you walk with Almighty God, you are in the majority. You can't really lose, even if I was to go to prison, I know that what God allows in his wisdom, he could easily stop with his sovereign power. And so when we trust him, we really have to trust him, and he tells us to walk with him with joy. I still have one more battle. The uh, Oregon State Bar wants to discipline me, and, and I look forward to that fight, frankly. Yeah, you weren't standing out there by yourself. You had people that you didn't know, that never met you, but they knew that your case was important to them because if you lost it, they could be next. That's right. And I think that speaks well of the people who recognize this is bigger than Vance Day. This is not about just some judge in Oregon. This is about the fundamental principles of liberty in this country and whether we preserve this great republic and the freedom of a conscience, the freedom of faith. I'm so proud of you. Thank you. Great to have you here. And wonderful to have you back with a great resolution to the story. Our congratulations to Judge Day for the court victory. But the Oregon State Bar, as he said, is continuing to try to punish him with sanctions for the alleged thought crimes. Now think about that. Basically being punished for what you think and what you believe. Well, you can learn more and help his legal defense visiting DefendJudgeDay.com. That's DefendJudgeDay.com. Keith, why don't you tell us what's coming up? Next news that will make you shine and smile and in case you missed it. And comedian Paul Aldrich joins us. Then our Huck's hero, Peter Rosenberger. And country music's Rory Feek tells us all about his new book and sings right here on Huckabee. Welcome back. Now, if you're struggling with a really special Christmas gift for your spouse, your family, maybe just for yourself, look no more. You can join me on the stunningly beautiful Baltic seas of Finland, Sweden, Estonia, Denmark, and St. Petersburg next August for the trip of a lifetime. We'll be enjoying God's great natural creations, some stunning architecture, and a celebration of freedom as we sail the calm and pleasant waters of the Baltic areas. We're going to have the entire super luxury ship all to ourselves. And we're going to have some unforgettable music, teaching, and just some old-fashioned wholesome fun and relaxation. The trip, August the 9th through the 18th of 2019. Don't let us sail without you. If you want more details, go to thegreatesttrip.com. Thegreatesttrip.com. And sign up and go with me. 
Well, from a nearly fried chicken rescue to a museum for disgusting foods, we've got the news that you may find a bit hard to keep down on a segment we call In Case You Missed It. Dateline, Ossingling, New York. Police officer Patrick McGovern arrived home only to see a fire blazing in a backyard shed. As his body camera revealed, Officer McGovern charged into the burning shed seeking to rescue a chicken. He plucked the fowl from the flames and saved it from being roasted. Well, at least for the time being. Well, Officer McGovern, I think you are a true hero because that chicken looked like it was going to be totally out of cluck. I got to tell you, the only time I ever pulled a chicken out of a fire was when my meat thermometer said 165 degrees, and I took the thing off the grill. That's right. Okay, now from our couch potato file, a driver in Dayton, Ohio, showed America how not to move furniture to your home. The captured video of an SUV traveling with a couch strapped to the roof. Now, worried that a gust of wind might send the couch tumbling from its perch, what would you do? Well, that's right, you'd get a friend to lie on the couch for a measure of security while you're driving. This is not real, but it is. I feel like I'm being punk. When most of us ask our friends to help us move, we're lucky if they even show up. I mean, perhaps this was the driver's son and he was just happy to get his kid off the couch. If only momentarily, that is until it was strapped to the SUV. And I'm always thinking that this is one of those that the template at the bottom of the story that is in so many of the stories like this, if you read the newspaper report, it almost always says, and alcohol was believed to have been involved. <laughs> All right, from our please tell me you're not gonna eat that file, Malmo, Sweden, and Los Angeles, California have opened disgusting food museums. Yes, friends, now for a mere $20.50, you can see, smell, and even taste the world's most repulsive foods. Why, the ticket is even printed on a barf bag. Really. You can choose from maggot-infested cheese from Sardinia, China's, uh, uh, Sardinia, Chinese mouse wine made with real rodents. Our audience is really getting hungry there. Their appetites are being whetted. Japanese fermented soybeans with bacteria and deep-fried tarantula spiders. The Disgusting Food Museum was created by Mr. Samuel West, whose previous museum was entitled, wait for it, The Museum of Failure. <laughs> well, if at first you don't succeed, fried, fried tarantulas again, that's right. Now, all culinary kidding aside, before leaving this delightful place, be sure to try the sheep head and hoof soup, or maybe even a nicely prepared fruit bat Enjoy it as a soup or try it as a main dish. The exhibits are only on display in Sweden and Los Angeles for 90 days, so don't let your appetite get the best of you. Visit soon. Details are at disgustingfoodmuseum.com. All right, and finally from our Florida again file, a Florida woman passed gas in a Pompano Beach convenience store this past week, but, and that's with one T for those of you spelling along with us, when a man complained of the odor that she emitted, the woman pulled a knife and threatened to gut the offending gent. Police said the two people also got in an argument in line at the store for how loudly that she was... <laughs> letting it go. Shanita Yvette Wilson was charged with aggravated assault with a deadly weapon. <laughs> And we're talking about the knife, by the way, not the noxious splatulence that she was uh, emitting. Police arrested her and set the bail at $2,500. I don't think they jailed her because who wants to be in a cell with her after all? So here's the question. What can we learn from this story? Well, it's probably best not to toot your own horn in public. That's what we learned. Well, I hope you appreciate the sacrifices that we made tonight to bring you those stories because we read the news Ah, and aren't you glad you don't have to? <laughs> By the way, that uh, last lady I was talking about, she will not be a guest on our show.
Well, my next guest I'm happy to have. He's a talented comedian and songwriter. He uses both talents to entertain and inspire audiences. He's been described as a very funny man, and he really is. But he's also described as a man who's a little bit crazy. And that means he's going to fit right in with our cast and crew. So, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to The Huckabee Show, Mr. Paul Aldrich. Thanks. Woo. Well, this is exciting. I have never followed the worst food in the world and then, well. Yeah, we'll leave it there. Shall be nice. Paul, we're so happy to have you here. Thank you. You, you sing, you entertain, you make people laugh. And I just think we need more laughter in our world today. Absolutely. You take a lot of very familiar songs that we've all heard and then you completely fracture them by putting different <laughs> lyrics. Uh, to bring out, really, the laughter in, right. in life. Since we got the Christmas season upon us, how about... Frosty the snow person <laughs> is politically correct with a bleeding heart and a feminine side leaning slightly to the left. <laughs> yes. Frosty the snow person has gone eco-friendly green. So his eyes of coal have been replaced by light bulbs that burn clean. <laughs> He's thrown away his corncob pipe he will not smoke or chew. He drives a Prius hybrid car he recycles and reuses. Yes, Frosty the snow person has intentions pure as snow. So he's trying hard not to leave a carbon footprint when he goes. <laughs> thumpity thump thump thumpity thump, and Frosty needs our help. Thumpity thump thump thumpity thump, yes friends. Global warming makes him melt. Frosty. <laughs> there you have it. There you have it for the band. Oh. See, I love stuff like that. It's truly funny. And you're poking fun at the political correctness of our day. Absolutely. But you're doing it the way that makes us laugh rather than makes us want to go after somebody's throat. Well, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, there are a couple of people in the audience I'm a little worried about. Okay, yeah, I've taken a look at them there. I know that you are a Christian believer. You do a lot of uh, events in large churches and yeah. organizations. Give us an example of some stuff that you have found really connect to people. Well, here's a, here, we're on Christmas, so we'll kind of do another little one. This is a, just kind of a fun thing. A little uh, Christmas classic. It was a night before Christmas, and all through the house, not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. The stockings were hung by the chimney with care, in hopes that St. Nicholas soon would be there. Went up above the roof, there arose such a clatter. I sprang from my bed to see what was the matter. And what to my wondering I should appear. But a miniature say and a tiny reindeer. With a little old driver so lively and quick, I knew in a moment it must be St. Nick saying dashing, now dancing, now prancer and vixen, on Comet, on Cupid, on Donner and Blitzen. Up to the coals, up to the wall, dash away, dash away, dash away, uh oh. Stuff like that, you know? <laughs> See, I love the blues, so you just won me over with that one. Oh. <laughs> See, you, you got to bring me back. We got a jam next time. Yeah, we get the whole gotta, band in on heck this. Heck yeah, all right. Now we're talking. You know, you've done a lot of different things, including uh, did an event last year called the Rocking Comedy Christmas Show. Did that get you arrested in any of the states in which you performed <laughs> that? I'm just curious. Well, we only did it in Tennessee, so I think we're safe. Oh, you're okay. <laughs> um, I know that's available on CD, so people could still get it in time for Christmas if yeah. they wanted to be a part yeah. of that. Uh, you also worked with a guitar uh, virtuoso, Phil Kagi. Yes. That must have been incredible. It was. That, that Christmas show, we'd never been on stage together before, and so Phil came uh, as, as part of my show, and... Uh, you know, he would, he just improved over all the parodies and all the songs and things, and it was magical. I was in heaven because he's a guitar hero of mine. It was a lot of fun. Before we go, you have another one for us because I, I love to hear these uh, these great All right, well, here's a little uh, little love song for okay. you because I, I sometimes get things in relationships kind of mix up, kind of turn around, kind of backwards. But, you know, there's never really been a love song written 
for dyslexics. <laughs> what a wonderful name, Kathy. Y-H-T-A-K. And as I spoke her name one last time, Kathy died and went to heaven. But then without warning, she became gravely ill. I got it. I we got were so it. happy then. <laughs> we had a boy, then a girl. Soon, we were expecting our first. <laughs> Finally, we bought a home, then moved into our first apartment. <laughs> So off we went on our honeymoon. Soon she was dressed in white, walking down the aisle. The next day, I asked her to marry me. <laughs> Y-H-T-A-K. That's a short version. Uh, <laughs> oh, Paul, great having you here. Got to come back. Thank you. We'll do some blues when you do. All right. Be sure to visit PaulAldridge.com. Get Paul's wonderful comedy albums like his rocking comedy Christmas show that we were telling you about earlier. And be sure to get out and see him for his 2018 comedy show with our good friends, comedians Victoria Jackson and Jeff Allen, both of whom have been on the show, and they were wonderful, uh, as well as this whimsical troubadour, Paul Aldridge. That show is Friday, December the 7th in Franklin, Tennessee. If you want more information, you want to get tickets because you can't go in without one. You have to go to pauldaldrichandfriends.com. All right, Keith, we're going to let you compose yourself. Maybe you can tell us what's coming up next. I'll give it my best shot. Coming up, Huck's hero, Peter Rosenberger, on The Power of Caregivers. And country music's Rory Feek performs. There's more Huckabee coming up in 60 seconds. Welcome back. And do yourself a huge favor and join Hillsdale College for their free online course on the Constitution. It's going to give you a new and valuable perspective on America today. i got to be honest with you, I am amazed how many people seem to know so little about our American Constitution. But in this course, you're going to learn what an inspired and amazing blueprint for government our Constitution really is. You can sign up for it by visiting Hillsdale College to register today. It is a free course on the Constitution. I hope you'll sign up for it. Well, as the massive baby boomer population ages, who's going to care for them? And combine that with the group that special needs children have and the mentally ill, traumatic injuries, and a whole host of other diseases and challenges. And we currently have more than 65 million Americans who are serving as a family caregiver. But this week's Huck, Huck's Hero says, there is hope. Let's watch. There's a storm coming, a big storm. The sickest among us are being taken care of by people who are not well themselves. They're afraid, they're discouraged, they're beat up and in danger. On average, caregivers spend 13 days each month on tasks such as shopping, food preparation, housekeeping, laundry, transportation, and giving medication. Six days a month feeding, dressing, grooming, walking, bathing, and assisting in the restroom. 13 hours a month researching care services or information on diseases or coordinating physician visits or managing financial matters. Nearly half of all family caregivers do this while holding down a job themselves. And the amount of unpaid labor that family caregivers provide is nearly half a trillion dollars a year. Adding to all that, all too many caregivers struggle while having late night conversations with the ceiling fan. How are they going to survive? But caregivers can live a calmer, healthier, and as Peter Rosenberger says, a more joyful life. And I'm on a mission to help fellow caregivers find their own voices and strengthen their hearts. Because healthy caregivers make better caregivers. He helps point fellow caregivers to safety where they can catch their breath Take an E if they have to and develop a plan to live a healthier life. I want you to welcome our Huck's hero, Peter Rosenberger. Peter, great having you here. Appreciate you having me on the show. Let me start with the most generic question of all. How are you feeling today? You know, that is the question for caregivers is how are we feeling? I, yeah. feel, I feel fine. I look good for a 75-year-old. 
I'm only 35, though. <laughs> Don't let this happen to somebody you love. I, I, um, I, I do feel okay, and I feel optimistic about where this is going, but I, I, I want to ask that question to all fellow caregivers. How are you feeling? Because so many people have asked me about my wife over these years, they don't ask about the guy pushing the wheelchair or things like that. And so it's important that we engage our fellow caregivers. You became an expert, and I'll use that term very honestly, uh, in caregiving because of the situation with your wife. What happened? 35 years ago, she had a horrific wreck. Uh, she fell asleep at the wheel on I-40 in Middle Tennessee. And 80 surgeries later... 80 surgeries. ...that I can count, both legs amputated. She gave up one after each child was born. I didn't know her at the time. I met her... Um, She'd had about 20 surgeries when I met her, and I just saw this beautiful young woman at school. And, you know, don't take my word for a Googler. I was Googling her that day. We didn't even have Google then. <laughs> and just this gorgeous woman. And then I heard her sing, and I knew I was captivated, but I had no idea what it would mean to take care of a woman with a broken body. Hmm. We got married. The doctor said, if you guys are going to have children, have them when you're young. And I said, well, baby, the doctor says we got to. <laughs> and I got a prescription and everything. And... <laughs> Don't know if that's covered under Obamacare, but I bet it's covered <laughs> under Clinton care. And uh, <laughs> I um, it's not good. But you know, but the the having children took a toll on her, and uh, she gave up her right leg after our oldest son was born. You just met him, and our and then she she did really well, and then uh, we had our second son, and then the left leg went, and then but the surgeries just keep coming and doesn't end. She's in a lot of pain. She's here now. Look, we've been married 32 years. If I want to say my wife's hot, I'm going to say my wife's hot. <laughs> and you know, but it's it's a journey. She suffers a lot. She's in pain all the time. Yeah. You would never know it, but she's in pain all the time. And I've learned some things over the years of taking care of a woman with a broken body. And I thought about this with our Savior. Yeah. You know, he's in love with the wounded bride himself, mm. and that's the church, that's us. What a beautiful analogy. And so that's, that's the, the love that we can tap into as caregivers to understand we got a Savior that understands this. And Peter, you do a radio show now. I, I have the largest stations. I have the largest radio program for fellow caregivers across the country. We're on 200 stations. And you're touching a nerve because there's so many people, 65 million, I was stunned when I saw that figure. 65 million people are caring for someone in their family. And that doesn't include addicts and alcoholics who I lump into this because if you got a chronic disease like addiction, you got a caregiver. So we're talking probably over 100 million people are affected by these things. But one of the things that I'm, I'm seeing you bring to this whole issue is a balance and perspective. You understand how serious it is, but you've also approached life with a sense of humor. You haven't lost your joy. And is that one of the big messages that caregivers need to hear? We do. Uh, we can live a calmer, healthier, and dare I say it, a more joyful life while we look at grim realities. It's mm. a hard thing. This morning, Gracie gets up, she's hurting. She's hurting all the time. I have to walk with her through that thing, but I don't have to be miserable. And she's not miserable. You met her. She's not miserable. No, she's a lovely person. Um, but she lives with harsh realities. Yeah. Why can we be joyful? Because look at our Savior. Look at, what, look at Paul and Silas in prison. They were beaten, hmm. and they were singing hymns at midnight. Now, what do they know about Christ that we need to know? Because if hmm. you can be beaten and singing hymns at midnight, then you know what? There's joy available to us while we're up cleaning things. I, I did a bit with Jeff Foxworthy on You Might Be a Caregiver If. If you got a professional carpet cleaner on retainer, you're probably a caregiver. <laughs> and you can be up cleaning a carpet in the middle of the night and sing hymns. And you've written uh, at least a couple of books here, Hope for the Caregiver, and this one, Seven Caregiver Landmines. Uh, there's, again, 65 million people, as you say, probably 100 million if you add all the alcoholics and addicts. I hope people will get these books because this is written from the perspective not of some clinician that speaks with a sterile voice, but somebody who has lived this life, experienced it. Still living it. And being able to share with others, it is a powerfully needed message in our culture today. And I want to say thank you, Peter, for being here. Thank you very much. If you were touched by Peter's story, and I can't imagine that you wouldn't be, and you'd like some encouraging words that will strengthen your spirit, Visit HopeForTheCaregiver.com. That's HopeForTheCaregiver.com. Our friend Keith Bilby is standing by with some fresh biscuits. No, I guess it's fresh business of what we have coming up. So, Keith, forget the biscuits. Give us the business. Well, next, Rory Feek celebrates kids and life on the farm. Plus, Mike has some thoughts on when science tampers with creating life. It's coming up on Huckabee.
My next guest was half of the singing duo Joey and Rory. Since Joey's death from cancer, he's been raising their daughter on their farm and telling inspiring stories through film and print. His latest is a wonderful children's book. It's called The Cow Says Nay, a farm story. It is a real honor to welcome Rory Feig. Rory, great to have you here. Thanks for coming. Thanks for having me. You and, uh, you and Joey are beloved by many people who watched you on television. They've heard your songs either from you and Joey or perhaps from artists that have recorded your material. Mm -hmm. There was a joy in your life, a joy in your songs. The death of Joey took a lot of that joy away. But how have you been able to put life back together having a tragedy like that after years of marriage and, and such a good partnership? Well, um, believe it or not, it, di it didn't take that joy. Mm. You know, she left us so much. And part of it is, is all this music and television and all these things that we've done, it's still here and it, out, you know, it, it outlives her, it'll outlive me. And so we have a, as you mentioned, I have a four and a half year old that I'm raising on my own now. And, you know, that's like a little bitty joy that you wake up to every day. And I, I somehow, even with the grief and the pain, wake up every day just pinching myself at how lucky I am. And that, that's, that's a gift that God's just given me. Mm. Well, I, I also think it's so important. Your talents are extraordinary. I, I, I'm really, I would say I'm jealous. I'm just disgusted that God has put so many abilities in one human being. You write songs, you sing songs, you do film, you write books. Is there anything you can't do? Politics, I can't do politics. <laughs> Truthfully, Rory, obviously, I can't either very well. That's why I'm hosting a television show. Thank you for reminding everybody that... Uh... No, let's talk about, though, what is the, the thing you love most? Obviously, everything I've just mentioned is all about creativity. It's all about taking things that are abstract and turning them into a product, whether it's a song or a book or, or a film. Where does that come from? Well, I think a lot of it is, is that I, I somehow, through the years, and it wasn't always this way, I, I see the good, even in, in the things that aren't so good. Mm. And so it's not just a matter of, you know, creating something. It's really an important thing to try and create something good that, that can last. And so most of what we've done through the years, what I still do, is just try and capture and share stories from our lives and the people that I'm around. And, um, and somehow I'm hoping to just contribute, you know, to, to someone else's life that I'm never going to meet. Uh, in, in this book, it's a children's book. Children's book. Did you write this with your daughter in mind or did you just write it for the therapy of writing and saying, this occurs to me? It's 100% because of my daughter. And we live on a farm and, and she loves, she's got the greatest smile just like her mama had. And so I love to make her smile and this one makes her smile, makes me smile. So that's really where it came from. That's a beautiful reason to, uh, to do a children's book. You also have an upcoming film project, uh, a film called Josephine, mm -hmm. set of the Civil War. Tell me about that. It's called Finding Josephine, and it's, it's based upon years ago, before I met my wife, Joey, I bought this old rundown farmhouse and was fixing it up. And while I did, I got to read some letters from a Civil War soldier. And it was this man writing home to his wife, Josephine, and I just fell in love with their love story. I ended up writing a song based on it and then uh, dreaming of having a love like theirs. And from there, um, in the next few years, I ended up meeting a girl named Joey, whose nickname is Josephine. And then I get to be part of an incredible love story. And as that goes on, um, it, it's kind of an inter, interweaving of my story that we've gone through with these letters and this Civil War story. So it's, it's really neat. I've loved it. Well, one of the things that has always impressed me is that uh, there, there's a passion and there's a, a, a candor that comes through in all that you do, whether it's your writing on the blogs or whether it's uh, the songs that you do. There's a candor. There's, it's, it's fresh. It's not mm -hmm. like I'm just reading something that seems sterile, but it's very real. And uh, you bless us with that. This is a terrific book for kids. You can get it at Amazon. You can get it at all booksellers. And you can learn more about the book and its author at RoryFeek.com. But if you'd like to hear him sing, then all you have to do is stay right there in front of your TV. Keith, why don't you tell us about it? Well, coming up, Country Music's Rory Feek sings and final thoughts with Mike. 
in the wrap on Huckabee. Well, hearing uh, Trey and the band play softly and tenderly as we come back, I was taken back to church camp years ago and wondering if this was the invitation or the offering. Will the ushers please come forward? How's that? <laughs> well, my next guest is a well-respected songwriter here in Nashville. Artists like Blake Shelton, Kenny Chesney, and the Oak Ridge Boys have all recorded his songs. You know many of the songs that he recorded with his late wife, Joey, and their duo, Joey and Rory. Here now to sing, Rory Feet. Make him welcome. When you're opening those presents underneath the Christmas tree, remember me. When you're setting out those cookies, for Santa Claus to eat Remember me Cause I was born in a manger On a cold December night With shepherds and three wise men Underneath the star so bright The son of a lowly carpenter From down in Galilee Remember me When you're hanging up those Christmas lights For the neighborhood to see Remember me When you're gathered round the table With all your family I walked from town to town without a place to lay my head And I even fed 5,000 with just a loaf of bread And I helped the lame to walk again And I made the blind man see mm -hmm. Remember me Remember me I was only in my thirties When they led me up that hill With tears in my eyes I cried But did my father's will And there upon a cross of wood I died to set you free What a beautiful song. I know you want to find out more about Rory Feek and his music, so go to RoryFeek.com. That's where you're going to find Rory's heartfelt blogs, the concert schedule, and a whole lot more. RoryFeek.com. What an honor, privilege to have him. Now, before we close out our show tonight, I've got some final thoughts I'm going to share with you. Well, this week, He Jiankui, a scientist in China, said he had successfully created the world's first genetically edited babies, twin girls who were born earlier this month. 
While there's been no independently verified confirmation of his claims, the outrage and negative fallout is refreshingly strong. And we're not talking about using genetics to cure a disease or to ward off effects of a disease, but rather the manipulation of human genes so as to create specific traits and characteristics that are desired by parents. Now, we shouldn't be surprised that a modern-day Dr. Frankenstein would seek to custom-design a baby. But let's recognize the ethical and moral dangers. Imagine a world in which the uber-wealthy could genetically design their children to have certain color of hair and eyes and selected features of height, intelligence, and athletic ability. Essentially, it would be creating a super child in the laboratory. I think we can all see the potential horrors of manufacturing humans to specs like you were ordering a car or a computer. We would create an even greater gap between the haves and the have-nots and end up with the haves and the never-will-haves. A child from a non-engineered family would never be able to compete with the super kid who was custom created to have superior intelligence and superior athletic skill. It's the ultimate attempt for scientists to play God. It's incredibly immoral to manipulate a human being in such a selfish way. But as we've continued to drift away from a moral world order to an everyone did what was right in his own eyes world order, maybe we shouldn't be that surprised. Instead of creating children who are engineered to succeed, why don't we stick to the old-fashioned way, raising children to work hard, learn from their failures, find their unique skills and use them, and see themselves as equals among and accountable to God. Not super kids who think they are God. I hope that's where we'll be heading. And that is a wrap for tonight. I want to thank all of our guests tonight for being here and making it such a great show. And I hope you're going to join us again next week. We've got a powerful lineup of guests that will be with us. So until then, as you get all your Christmas shopping done, be sure and send me something. I'm kidding. You don't have to. But I hope you have a wonderful week. Have a great time. Till next time, good night. God bless.